Seeing Red. And now tonight's story. My name is Ethan, sir. Ethan Carmichael, birth ID number 869AZE. Consider this. Many of us were taught that in 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed to the ocean blue, landing in what is now known as South America. But that's incorrect. Leif Erikson, a Viking, could be called the first colonist of the Americas, landing in about 1000 AD, 500 years before Columbus. Nineteen? I'm a second wave. All I got is my mother. No, sir. I'm an independent. And still, Erickson might have been beaten by those that traveled across the Bering Strait, from eastern Russia into the present-day state of Alaska. Father? Deceased. But what about tomorrow? Where does humanity's burgeoning spirit of exploration take us next? If you are Elon Musk, you would save the stars. His latest objective, a Martian city of a million people by 2062. No siblings. Yes, sir, I'm an only child. Tonight on Seeing Red, we will transport you into space. 54.6 million kilometers away from Earth, in fact. Why do I want to join the Martian Marine Corps? That's an easy question. Tonight's story, at Jezero Base. I was born here, raised in the Icities Dome. The place I grew up was on Chester and First, the edge of Westfield Park as it is known in the real estate magazines. I can tell you every detail of that street. The sounds of rusty pipes whistling as they ventilate clean air into the side streets. The way your eyes burn when the sun catches the edge of the metal building. The pain of your shins being shredded as they slide against the pavement to keep that soccer ball in play. The way the bricks feel when you get pushed against them and experience your first kiss. And I could tell you about the people. The silver-haired woman with jagged teeth who would smile with glee at you, hoping you would spend some of your cash on her. The barber named Horton, who never wore a shirt, even when the seasonal cycle shifted to a cold climate. The children who would talk your ear off about their day before getting their ears turned red for talking to strangers. A real neighborhood. A dirty, small, but lived-in neighborhood. And even though I consider it my neighborhood, in a way it was all of ours. It began as a third-wave Martian neighborhood, and it has stayed that way. Down two streets and an avenue, there was an old mom-and-pop shop called Empire Pizza. Funny how it all comes back to you. But I remember them so clearly now that they claim to serve their pizza just like they do on Earth. An authentic slice, no veggie meats, no lab-grown cheese. I, uh, I got my first job there. Well, no, I can't tell you if the pizza was truly authentic or not. That ruined the charm. I appreciated that job because it taught me valuable lessons. 
time management, how to interact with customers, and most importantly, the struggle of a family business. The struggle of the true Martian colonist. I learned that in an old rundown shop that was still using Earth as a marketing tool. Not because they wanted to, no, but because they still had to use Earth's name for business. Their owner told people to call him Tony. Insane, right? He didn't even look Italian. He had to change his identity to provide for his family. His actual name was Bill. Everyone who mattered knew him as Pops, a true third-wave Martian just like my grandfather. They closed down after Pops got too political. A hit job, if you ask me. I'm pretty sure the landlord wanted the lower half of the building. On Angelica and 3rd, I went to a high school funded by the Corps, St. Augustine and Morton's, a rigorous school, but one that never cheated its students. It wanted to create a Martian citizen who could think for themselves, one that knew our history and respected our institutions. You can see my record, sir, top marks in all my classes, and exceeded expectation in every physical exam. I was a top player in football. Even .3 Earth Gs couldn't stop me from running the ball. Yes, sir. I played running back. That team taught me about being in a squad, deep in the trenches with 30 on the clock. Those boys in that huddle are the only thing that matters. It's all about strategy, using people's abilities to their fullest and making the play. We've all been born with the gifts that our Creator has given us. We work with what we've got to succeed. From there, my choice was obvious. Either go to school for medicine and become a nurse like my mother, or I join law enforcement like my father. On my record, it shows the mandatory year of basic I went through, but numbers don't show experience. They are benchmarks, not indicators of growth. I learned what it was like to be alone, to be pushed, and to be part of a true family. I decided not to follow in my father or my mother's footsteps, but my grandfather's. You know the final survival drill, sir? It's a new benchmark that our year tested out. I hear it's a mandatory assessment now. In the final quarter of training, we got asked to go out with a small squad with only the suits on our backs, a pack of rations, and one portable dome. Survive a week, our instructors told us. That was, of course, a Martian week, not an Earth week. To many, that seems insignificant, but that 2.8% matters when every second you're losing O2 from suits created on Earth. Our squad comprised of five soldiers, each seasoned from basic and ready to prove themselves. I was chosen as SO, and my comrades given various roles and designations fit for the task. You barely knew these people. Haven't seen or bonded with them like your classmates and bunkmates. It's intentional. It's you and the elements with a group of people you would be a fool to trust. Most would go crazy. That's why a passing grade isn't necessary for graduation. It's not a test of whether you can take arms against an Earth invasion, but rather to see who is ready for the core. The first two or three nights are the easiest. You have enough rations for five men for four nights. With careful planning, that can be stretched to eight or even ten if you're smart. But then hunger and loneliness start to creep in. Past those first three nights, you realize that your body isn't used to this sort of deprivation, physically or socially. It's my belief, sir that any good commander understands their troops as people first, marksmen second. He or she must get to know them as human beings, their strengths and weaknesses. Without that, how can you trust someone to have your back? And when one person in that squad loses that trust, it's as if the whole squad is blind. 
I got along well enough with most of them. Thomas was a fourth wave, a fresh baby on a new planet. Mikey was a second wave. Old blood ran through his veins. Marwa was a fifth wave and picky at that, which isn't an insult, sir. She could tell you the technical name of every part on a standard-issue rifle and what date the manufacturer released it. She left her home for a better life. The last one, Gigi, I got to know on the seventh day. Both of us were outside in our suits. With Marwa's calculations, we determined that three in the pod and two outside saved enough oxygen that we would have a day's surplus when all was said and done. But what that meant was two people had to stay up all night on watch. I didn't complain. It's good practice, in my opinion. G sat a couple of meters from me. I sat on the horizon. His hands coiled around the neck of his gun, almost as if he was trying to strangle a serpent right there and then. I asked what was wrong, and wouldn't you know it, the man told me everything right there and then. His sister had been killed. Hit and run. A few suspects, but they all were the uh, usual type. He found out a day or two before the final exam. Bad time to have a problem long stretches of isolation can't solve. He explained to me how he wanted to hunt down the murderer. G had their description, and that's everything he needed. All he had to do was pass this exam to get his badge and certificate to carry, and he could make sure his sister didn't die for nothing. He didn't do it, if you're wondering. Last I heard, he's applying for law enforcement in his home precinct. Maybe he'll do some... No, I know he will do good there. He's someone who suffered, sir. When you've suffered... You know how to help people through their suffering. What's better is that you know the type of people who inflict that suffering and you can stop them from ever hurting someone else again. For his story, I told one of my own. That was the unspoken pact. I told him about a man who knew which people you could never trust. A man who knew what people the core deserved. He knew because, well, he was one. My grandfather was part of the Corps during the three-hour war. He left Earth because his home state of New York no longer provided him with the security he needed for his wife and expecting son. Like most of the early migrants, he packed his bags, took the juice, and left everything behind for a new life. He landed with nothing but the clothes on his back and his wife carrying a son eager to arrive. Not even an hour settled and he was wandering the streets for work. Three days... In three days, he was in front of the auditor, like I am now, and explained his situation. He proved to that man that he deserved to be part of something bigger. Proved that he had what it took to defend his new home. Proved to him as I am proving to you now. Exception beyond limitation. That's the core motto. And my grandfather lived his life to that creed. He got posted to Jezero Base a week after his interview. Maybe it was luck or... Even fate that he would get that station. 54 miles from his dome. 54 miles from his family, he worked in the place that would see the only battle of the three-hour war. True to its name, they say that the war lasted three hours. Earth closed the Sirtis Major spaceport due to terrorist activity, but 
I think that they did it to prove a point. That Mars needed Earth. It backfired. My grandfather stood on that base as the Earth Marines tried to establish control of the colony. He, like all those men on that base, did not budge to Earth's demands. They were the first independent Martians. Not protesters, not fanatics, but true Martian patriots. Those men fought for three hours against Earth's unlimited resources, against their immeasurable firepower, and they did not move an inch. The only battle of the war my grandfather fought, defending freedom. I heard the story once. My grandfather never told it when anyone in the family asked. Only occasionally at holidays would he give brief details about his time in the Corps to appease a curious mind, but he never told the full story. On the 40th anniversary of the war, he told me, and only me, what happened that day. Maybe he saw a patriot in me. The smell of blood, the hot, steaming blood that comes from a wound freshly opened from a laser rifle. He told me that smell never left him. The screams, the cries for help, the, the cries for mothers. They only had bullets against the Earth Marines. It's unbelievable to me, even now, how they managed to hold that base. During the second hour of the siege, he got placed near one of the West airlocks. Stationed with him was... I can picture this man even now. His thin, wiry frame, arms barely able to lift a gun, dark eyes, pale skin. His name was Myer. Been in the army just as long as my grandfather and had never seen combat. Understandably, he was scared. To calm him down, my grandfather told him about his family. He told this man about Earth and its inequality. How where you were born determined your life, and you'd only get out if you stole your way to success. He recounted the very same stories that inspired me and my father to inspire this frightened man to believe in hope. It just makes me sick to know that my grandfather wasted his words on him. Their post got attention. The earthers pried open that steel door like a walnut, the panic those brave patriots must have felt, the unbelievable terror that they might lose everything they had fought for. And my grandfather, my grandfather, did not move an inch, did not back down, did not give in to tyranny. And in the midst of their victory, as the earthers got pushed back, my ear fired his first and only shot. I've never been shot, sir. I can't tell you what it feels like. My grandfather even couldn't recount the details. Shock, I suppose. He got the bullet in his left hip. He never could walk again without a cane. That bullet shredded his muscle and shattered his bones. A glorious career taken from him by an idiot. And what does my ear do? Does he fire again, help my grandfather try and call for help? He surrendered. There are many things my record shows, sir. It shows intelligence, shows commitment, shows respect for authority and the, and the system our founders have created. But what my record doesn't show, what I think is my most important quality, is my ability to tell who is a true patriot. And my ear and his kind are the most treasonous people on Mars. You've seen them before. 
thin, gangly arms, gaunt cheeks, large heads, and immune system that breaks down with one sneeze. We all know them as skinnies. Well, it's not politically correct to call them skinnies anymore, is it? First wave Martians is what we were told to call them, but when I see a first wave Martian, I don't think about their sacrifice as the first migrants in a hostile world. What I see is a bunch of lanky thugs. What's wrong with calling it as it is? They're skinny. This colony started going wrong when we began to bend a knee to those lazy criminals. Did you know that skinnies account for nearly 35% of all violent crime on Mars, 46% of all assaults, and 51% of all thefts? You see, a skinny isn't just satisfied with what it has. A skinny won't work hard for its pay. No, a skinny would rather lie and cheat instead of putting in a hard day's work. And you know, if they were just killing each other, I wouldn't care. But they started to infect our neighborhoods. They've realized that they'll never achieve as much as a Martian who was born on the juice. So they'll kill us to even the playing field. That's just biological fact, sir. A skinny isn't close to Martians who got exposed to the steroid cocktail. The lower gravity of Mars was never meant to sustain the human body. I read a recent study that said the lower weight actually affects the mass of the human brain. They're weaker, dumber, and live shorter lives. They're inferior in every way, and they know it. They can't even fix their broken bodies with the juice. Too accustomed to low gravity, now the steroids would stop their hearts instead of strengthening them. And when they get to positions of power, they abuse it. Use it to enact vengeance on the poor Martians who have nothing to do with their condition. My neighbor didn't choose to send them here without the juice. My friends didn't abandon them when they begged Earth for aid. My family did nothing to be targeted. And when people finally stand up and say how it is, they get silenced. Pops, he knew that they were trying to slither their way into our neighborhood. People like Pops tried to warn us, and he got silenced by those skinny-loving politicians. They do it to get elected. All they want is the skinny vote. But now they've made their bed and have started to get nice and cozy with them. They've forgotten who the true Martians are, the ones who built this colony and haven't been using the welfare system to compensate for their poor health choices. And if you think skinnies aren't also a drain on the system, you'd be wrong. They can't stop getting pregnant. Can't stop spreading like a virus. While good Martian men and women stop having kids because of rising costs, the skinnies keep breeding like cockroaches. And when they start setting their sights on our women, our young girls, I can't accept when a skinny tries to integrate. To me, they're just spreading around their inferior genes. They're making us weaker so they can have a chance to be in charge. My mother worked in relief centers. My father would beg her to take a hospital job or get residency at a clinic, and every time she would spout the same rhetoric. They need me there. What kind of caretaker am I if I only help the people who can afford aid? Well, for her conscience, she ended up paralyzed in a bed, never able to walk or talk again. She's still there. I visit her every Sunday. It was a skinny who did it. It had to be. That relief center was crawling with those monsters leeching our system. I mean, who else could have assaulted her? 
It's not like she's ever had the chance to identify her attacker. And when my father went out and tried to find retribution for her, they called it a hate crime. A hate crime? Really? A hate crime? When not a single person in his precinct would take the case. When not a single officer offered to help find her attacker. Not enough evidence, they said. Too many uncertainties. They stated that the only witness who could identify the attacker was now in a coma. That there was no case. No case! Yeah, right. There was plenty of evidence. Evidence right inside that relief center. But no. They were afraid of calling it what it was. A skinny attack. A blatant attack by a skinny with a history of criminal activity. And how can I be so certain that the skinny had a record? Well, haven't I made it clear that every skinny is born a criminal? It's in their DNA. It's, it's how they're raised. It's what they are. The worst part? The worst part is he could still be out there. That skinny could still be terrorizing our people to this day, and those officers did nothing. They got soft because it wasn't politically correct. My father's reward for seeking justice? Ten years. His badge stripped from his jacket, and ten years in the slammer. I heard people say that he got off easy for what he did, but I think they decided to make an example of him. My father couldn't make it five years before he hung himself. My father, my grandfather's son. While I stand here, sir, I hope you can see all I offer to the Corps. My dedication, my intellect, but above all, I hope you can see my insight. Our law enforcement has gotten soft, our government infiltrated. We need true Martians at Jezero Base again, sir. We need Martians who can tell a true patriot from a traitor. You above all people should see that. <laughs> uh, why, why are you looking at me? Oh. You're one of them, aren't you? Yeah, I see it now. You're a skinny. You're real integrated, aren't you? I hope you look at my application favorably, sir. Exception beyond limitation. I believe in those words, sir. I believe in what my father and my grandfather died for.
This has been At Jezero Base, the first story from us here at Seeing Red. The character of Ethan was performed by Nick Pritaco. The story created and edited by Liam Armstrong. Produced in association with WSJU Radio. If you managed to catch this broadcast, let us know you received it. For the complete 90-minute broadcast, tune in Tuesdays from 6 to 7.30 p.m. on the TuneIn app. Search WSJU Radio, The Voice. You are currently listening to Monolith by White Tank. seeing clearly now?